I uh, um, am going to teach from Genesis chapter 29, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there. Um, uh, it's my understanding you've been going through um, passages in the Old Testament and looking at Christ in the Old Testament uh, with selections from Genesis, and so I think you've even moved a little bit beyond Jacob, but let's return for one week and look at this fascinating story um, of the life of Jacob in chapter 29, beginning, uh, let's start in verse 14. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. So Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any one other man. So stay with me. So Jacob served for seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because he loved her because of the love that he had for her. So then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Then in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her and Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other for also in return for serving me for another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into her, Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for the other seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not wanted, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has also given me this son. She called his name Simeon. And again she bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. But then she conceived again and bore a son. And this time she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is God's word. So one of the things that I'm interested in uh, you observing and taking away from reading the Old Testament and learning is to move away from any suspicion or confusion that uh, the New Testament lays out for us the Christian life and teaches us about salvation and how God works in our life. And the Old Testament is just a bunch of stories that unfail God's law. Because what I want you to see and understand is how uh, the Bible unfolds one God 
who has moved into a broken world and gone after us and entered into our brokenness and sought to build a personal covenant relationship with his people and draw us out of that into his marvelous light and salvation. And that exists both in the new and in the old. And you'll see that specifically in the life of Jacob in this passage through this theme that shows up all through the New Testament. And that's that with the human heart is built with a void. And in that void, we are bound to give ourselves in our emptiness to one true chase in hopes that that true chase will fill that void. So let's, let's learn that and see that through uh, three things in this text. Uh, one, the chase. Two, the inevitable wall we hit in the chase. And three, uh, freedom from the chase. Okay, so it's the life of Jacob. First, uh, the chase. Uh, Jacob is on a chase in his life. And we see this when he comes to Laban and how he pursues. And in verse 15, Laban says this, uh, Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Okay, how did Jacob get in this situation and where's this question coming from? Well, if you remember uh, from the life of Jacob, if you, if you haven't read it before, how he got this situation is that Jacob is the younger brother to Esau and the son of Isaac. And because his whole life he had been rejected by his father, he had not been the favored one, he'd always sort of been the runt of the litter, uh, that he had never really had his father's affection, he never really had his brother's approval. And so to get it, he has to deceive his brother out of his birthright and he has to deceive his father out of his blessing. But in so tricking them, he uh, sort of seals his own fate and realizes that his brother is going to kill him and it's going to cost him his life. So he has to leave and his mother says, just run. So Jacob has to run. He's penniless. He's homeless. He can't go back to his family. He's countryless. So he goes to his uh, relative Laban who lets him live with him on his farm. And uh, Jacob says, hey, I, 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 I see your daughter's. And um, I want to have one of your daughters for a wife, which is a typical customary interaction at that time. And Laban says, okay, well, what should your wages be? And so Jacob, sort of looking at the two daughters, we're told in verse 16, there's two, there's Leah and there's Rachel. Jacob immediately sees Rachel and says, that's the one I want. Now, why? Well, we're told in verses uh, 17, it says, Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. The, the Hebrew word for form there uh, is the word figure, which means uh, her sexual appearance, uh, her body, her appeal. And so uh, what we see here is that uh, Leah is unattractive and Rachel is absolutely stunning. She's absolutely gorgeous, absolutely sweeps him off his feet. And Jacob is obsessed and will do anything he can to have her. And so he says, I'll work for seven years. Uh, Robert Alter, in his commentary on this passage, says a typical uh, wage for a wife that you would pay at that time was a 20 to 25 shekels. Uh, a shekel a month was a typical wage. So a typical way to uh, sort of pay for this would have been maybe max two and a half years. Jacob thrice that, which means he's absolutely out of his mind for Rachel. He'll do anything to have her and gives an exorbitant amount. And this is, he doesn't even try to negotiate or lowball. He just says, I'll do anything I can to have her. 
And he's going after her because of what she represents. And he gives himself to this bad deal because she's so sweeping. She's so gorgeous that he will do anything he can to have her. And now, right away, let me just say this. What the Old Testament is doing here is giving you narrative form story to how sin works in your life. See, one of the things that the New Testament talks about that with sin in our life is that sin comes into our life not just as uh, this clear wrong thing that you should stay away from, but it comes as very attractive, very appealing, and very blinding. Because do you notice here that uh, there's no negotiating going on? Um, there's no uh, low-balling. Uh, there's no Laban going, well, uh, you know, what if you worked for two and, and, you know, they work around that. That Jacob is so obsessed with having Rachel, he will give something ridiculous to have her. And when the New Testament talks about being a slave to sin... This is what it's talking about. It's that we will give ourselves to anything, no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes from us, no matter what it costs, to have what we think will give us life. Because in our hearts is a chase. And when we are sure what we're chasing is the freedom in life, there is no length, there is no mileage, there is no exhaustion we are, willing to put, we are not willing to put our hearts through in order to give it. And J- Jacob then what he says, is he says, I'll work for her for seven years. The seven years are up. And then in verse 21 it says, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Now, Robert Alter in his, his commentary, he says this verse has been troublesome and problematic for rabbinic scholars and Old Testament scholars for years because of how blunt and upfront this, this verse is. Because essentially what Jacob is saying is, I worked my tail off for seven years. Give me Rachel so I can have sex with her now. And this is very problematic, even in the Old Testament and even ancient Near Eastern literature, how awkward and blunt he is yelling this out. But here's what we see. We learn right away how Jacob is dealing with his life. That the inner emptiness caused by the rejection of his father, by the rejection of his brother, by the loss of his mother, is going to be filled with this woman. That he's saying, if I can have Rachel, and if I can have her this way, then life is going to be okay. Now, for some of us, we see this and almost immediately want to look down on that, like what a foolish man, uh, what a shallow man. But I don't want us to let, us, let ourselves off the hook this, this quickly, because what Jacob is doing with Rachel is something we all do with things in this world, and that's that we look for anything in this world with a chase. There was an article um, a couple years ago, it was like maybe two years ago, in the New York Times called The Enduring Hunt for Human Value by a guy named Tony Schwartz. And when the article, what he does is he talks about Michael Phelps, and then he talks about uh, these people he knows on Wall Street who have millions, even billions, who work relentlessly Long hours, more hours, and in fact, the more money they have, the more they work. Uh, he talks about uh, people in politics who have almost a zero chance of being elected, but are compelled to travel across the country campaigning 18 hours a day for years and years and years 
in hopes of something that actually will not happen. And he says, why do all these people from all this sort of sex of life continually to give themselves to something in hopes to get what? And he says, as little as these very people have in common, their shared core hunger is for value. See, once our basic needs are met, we human beings arguably crave value above all else. We each desperately want to matter to feel a sense of worthiness. And what Jacob is sort of doing is the same thing that Michael Phelps, the same thing these people in Wall Street, the same thing that all these politicians and these same things that you and I struggle with is that we, once our basic needs are met, have to look out into our lives and find something, whether it be through our children, whether it be through our job, whether it be through our relationships or our legacy, and find a sense of worthiness. But what the problem is Jacob's going to find is that there's going to be a wall here. And he's going to look for something. He's going to chase something that will never give him what he wants. But I want to know, I want you to know, that unless you're in tune and touch with the, the, the idea of a chase in your own life, you're never going to be a wise person. And you're never going to understand why you're spending your time and why your heart is working the way it is until you understand and get a sense of what chase you're after in life. Because what the human heart tells us and what the New Testament confirms and says about everybody's human heart is that you were built for God. And when you do not put everything that you are into the heart of God, you inevitably are on a chase to put it into something else. And if you want to make sense of your life, it's you figure out what you're putting your heart into and what chase you're after, and that's life. First of all, we see in Jacob that there's a chase. But secondly, there's an inevitable wall that you hit when you're in the chase. Now, what do I mean? Well, so uh, Jacob, he's been a deceiver his whole life. He deceived his brother, uh, and then he deceived his father. And so now he comes again, and he's going to get a wife. And in Laban, what's interesting is that he meets his match. And so he uh, hopes to marry Rachel and then finds out the next morning that he's actually married Leah. And he comes to Laban, and he's absolutely furious. Uh, He's just so angry, his chase has failed. And he says, uh, you know, what have you done? How could you do this to me? And the interesting thing about this text and the story is to ask, you know, how in the world did Laban get away with this? Um, I mean, I've always wondered, well, why wouldn't you just, you know, (laughs) go about the arrangement the other way? I mean, one of the things that were, it worked this way, is because probably what happened is in an ancient Near Eastern wedding, you know, a wedding is a whole multi-day, long day celebration where they have the ceremony and then there's hours and hours of drinking and then he goes and there's no electricity and it's dark at night, and he, you know, the woman is covered. She's been covered all day with a veil. And so, you know, he has no idea what's going on. But there's more than that. Um, you know, uh, one, Laban never agrees to this deal. Like in verse 19, Laban actually says, It's better that I give you to her than I should give her to any other man. So when Jacob had told him, and he said, I'll work for seven years, Laban actually never said, done deal. He just sort of went along with it. And, and Jacob hear, heard what he thought he wanted to hear. You ever done that before? 
I, I mean, so many times with my children, you know, we tell them, uh, hey, we might, they say we're hungry. And my wife and I look at each other and say, uh, what do you want to do about dinner? And they hear we're stopping for hamburgers on the way home. <laughs> and again, the New Testament, when it talks about sort of the blinding nature of sin, that none of us want to admit, and that none of us think is, is influencing us, and none of us think our eyes are being covered. Here's a perfect example of this. That so many times when you're after what you're when you're after what you're after, truth to you comes through a filter of the what you hearing what you want to hear. Uh, in Hebrews three, uh, the passage uh, the uh, author says, "Don't stop meeting together, lest you be given over to sin's deceitfulness." Uh, and I, I love that way because there's a lot of things that you could say about sin. Uh, sin is hardening. Uh, sin is corrosive. Uh, sin is darkness. But there he chooses to use the language, sin is deceiving. And when do you know if you're being deceived? When you know it or when you don't know it? That's the definition of it, right? And the only way, the author of Hebrews says, to know that you're not being deceived is he says, if you have somebody who is an encourager in your life. And the word for encourager there is the word paraclete, which is a really fascinating word for the author to use because it's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to send you my paraclete. And what this means is that if you don't want to be a Jacob and hear what you want to hear and filter truth, the only way to do that is to have somebody in your life who will be a truth-speaking person and grab you in encouragement and open your eyes to the truth. But Jacob, nonetheless, hears what he wants to hear. And he just goes along with it. Does that not amaze you? That he just agrees to be married to, Le to Leah. Why? Here's why he agrees to be married to Leah. Because the denouement in verse 26 and 27 is that he comes super angry. How could you do this to me? And Laban says, it's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now, Robert Alter, in his commentary, he says literally what he says is around here, we don't typically put the younger before the older, which is the exact same thing that Jacob has been doing to people his whole life. He's putting the younger before the older in order to get what he wants. And like a flaming spear thrown on his own horse, Jacob is caught, and he's hit a wall. Uh, Alter notes this uh, rabbinical scholar from medieval times who comments on this passage, imagining Jacob being angry with Rachel, the, or excuse me, Leah the next morning, just furious at her that she would even go along with it. And he says, I called out to Rachel in the dark, but you answered, why did you do that to me? And Leah said to him, your father called out Esau in the dark, and you answered, why did you do that to him? And Jacob's caught, and he's stuck, and he's hit a wall. Now, here's what's fascinating about the chase and the wall you hit, is it's not just with Jacob, it's with Leah. Because did you notice at the end of this passage what we see with her with having, having children? See, Leah is a, a girl, we're told in verse 17, 
She says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form. Um, that phrase, uh, Leah's eyes being weak, it's not, it's not commenting on her inability to see very far away. Uh, it probably means she had cross eyes or protruding eyes or something awkward and uncomfortable to look at. But the next phrase, when it talks about Rachel being uh, magnificent in form, it's contrasting Leah and saying, this is the ugly duckling. That this is the woman that nobody found physically attractive, that nobody wanted. In fact, the only way that she was going to get married is as her father Laban tricks somebody and dumps her off on somebody. And she's this person who no, she thought nobody would love her and adore her. And nobody would want her. And we know, we know this even more with what she does with her children. She has a child. The first one, she says, Reuben. She says, because the Lord has looked upon me, hopefully now my husband will love me. Thinking, if I have this child, surely now he will love me more than Rachel. He doesn't do that, so she has another child. She calls him Simeon. Simeon, in the, the Hebrew, his name means the Lord saw. Which what she's doing is saying, my husband only sees Rachel, but maybe now through my second child, he'll see me. And he'll put his eyes on me and he'll give his attention to me. And that doesn't happen. So the third child is born. She calls him Levi, which means someone who is attached to them. And she's saying, my husband, he's only emotionally connected. He's only attached to Rachel. But maybe through this third child, maybe through him, he will, be, he will be attached to me. And he will care for me. And he will adore me. And what's happening to her is that Leah always thought, if there's just a man out there who will care for me, if there's just a man out there who loves me, if there's a man out there who gives himself to me, then I'll finally feel like I'm okay. Then I'll finally have value. Then I'll finally be worth something. And it's never enough. And in fact, the person who's caused her own hell, her older sister, she's living in her very shadow. It's unbelievable. Now, let me, let me say some pastoral comments on this because when I taught on this passage at USC, immediately almost all the girls got so mad at me about the Bible belittling women and talking about why does the Bible always portray women in this weak and terrible sense. And what I wanted to immediately say with them is aren't you so glad we live in 2019 California where girls don't ever have to worry about their figure and if you are beautiful, that doesn't help your life at all. Um, <laughs> what a liberated place we live in. Look, what the Bible here is showing here, and that what every scholar and commentator will do, is any time uh, a woman's figure like this, polygamy, uh, primogeniture, uh, where the older before the younger, uh, it's never condoning this. But it's, it's showing what we talk about in the New Testament with the web of lies and the web of sin. Just that the ways that we go about our own strategy of salvation, they never, ever, ever work. They never work. And there's a chase that always ends up hitting a wall. And I want you to know out of this text how gracious that is. 
because here's some, uh, we're going to talk wonderfully about Leah in a second, but Leah represents something that we all need to know. And that's when Jacob comes to, be, to bed with Leah in the morning, she represents a base note of cosmic disappointment for all of our chases. Uh, in that article, The Enduring Hunt for Success, the guy who wrote it, his name's Tony Schwartz, and he talks about his own story. Where he uh, wrote, he co-wrote with Donald Trump the, the number one book, The Art of the Deal. And he says it became the number one bestseller and I earned more money in a short time than I could in the rest of my working life. The book's success provided a welcomed relief from financial anxiety and greater material well-being but it did not fuel any endearing sense of value. To the contrary, the fact that so much external success didn't deliver what I'd always imagined it would, le- it would leave me, I felt so empty and bewildered. What it did prompt was a search for more sustainable source of value that has continued to haunt the rest of my life. See, at the base note of all of our chases, is the idea that you think you're going to bed with Rachel, but in the morning it's always Leah. Whatever you're chasing, sure, this will be it. This will be the, this will be the thing in life that will give me value. This is the thing that will make people proud of me. This is the thing that will make me feel safe. This is the thing that will make me feel secure. You were so sure in the evening it's Rachel. In the morning it's always, always, always Leah. And you need to know, consider whatever you're chasing. If you've hit a wall and you blame your circumstances, you'll always think you need more. Do you see, um, uh, what was that movie with uh, Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell um, um, where Ryan Gosling is playing that character Jacob Palmer and he looks at Emma Stone and he says, I'm wildly unhappy I'm trying to buy my way out of it and it's not working at all. Look, if you think the problem with your chase is that you just haven't gotten enough yet, you'll always chase and you'll blame circumstances thinking you need more. Or what you do in your chase is you could blame yourself. But that only leads to hating yourself and leads to self-deprecation and unnecessary depression. Or what you can do in your chase is blame life and say it's not possible. And that leads you to become a radical cynic where you cut everything off you hold nothing dear. You lose hope in everything. And you can't ever enjoy anything you want to enjoy. Or what you can do is look into the chase and realize there's nothing in this world that's going to end it for you. And that makes you a Christian. No one said it better than C.S. Lewis. He said most people, if they'd really learned how to look into their own hearts, would know that they want and do want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things that the world promises to offer, to give you, but it never can keep its promise. Longings which arise in us, we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us. These are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning will ever satisfy. I'm not even speaking of ordinary things that will be called unsuccessful marriages or boring trips or so on. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There is something we have grasped at in the first moment of longing that just fades away into reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery is great. 
but it has turned into a decent, boring job. But the it, the thing that we always thought would be the center of it, it always, always, always evades us. And we hit the wall. And you know what's happening to Jacob and Leah here, hitting the wall? That's God's grace in their life. Because Romans 1, it really is almost even commentary on this passage. If God gives you whatever you want in your chase, it doesn't mean he loves you. It probably means he's given up on you. That whatever you chase in this world, hoping that this will be the cosmic fulfillment, that my father's approval or my brother's estate or this woman's you know, fulfillment, one of the worst things that can happen to you in your life is to get it. Because our problem with our chases is that we, it's not that we want things, Lewis says. It's that we put all of the weight on those things to give us what they can never give us. And that's cosmic fulfillment. See, the only way to be married and the only way to have a job is to realize that there is a better marriage, that there is a better mission, that there is an eternal life to give yourself in line of so that you can be freed up to go back into the things that you are given in this world, which are meant to be shadows of the things to come. See, if, if you don't look at your job as a shadow, and you don't look at your spouse as a shadow, and you don't look at your children as a shadow, they will always give, be a base note of cosmic disappointment that will frustrate us and hurt us to a level we were never meant to be hurt and frustrated in this world. And the most gracious thing God can give you is a wall that you hit that says the chase is not meant to be chased in this world. And so Jacob and Leah, they both hit the wall. And so we, have you hit the wall? Have you run up against that? Because if you have, here's the freedom in this text to get out of the chase and take your life back. We, we, see, the, 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 we see the way out through what Leah did and why she could do it. Here's what Leah did. She ended her chase. She ended it in verse 31. She says, or excuse me, when the Lord saw that Leah was not wanted, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And then in verse 35, she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Now remember, every one of her children was named in a part of her story that says, hopefully this will make my husband love me. And hopefully this will make my husband fulfill me. And hopefully this will give my husband's attention upon me. But when she says, this time I will praise the Lord, look, she's not using the generic ancient Near Eastern name Elohim, God, that all pagan gods name. She's using the personal covenant relationship, the God of grace, the God who comes after Abraham, the God who comes after Isaac, the God who's even coming after Jacob in this story. And she says, I'm going to take all of my hope and I'm going to take my chase and I'm going to put it on the Lord. And she's saying, I'm going to put my deepest, darkest desires on Him and I'm going to take my life back through giving it to Him. Do you, uh, do you ever watch Marvel movies? My kids, we adore them. We, they think they're the greatest things ever. Uh, we have so much fun together. There was a great one um, like five years ago, uh, Doctor Strange. If you didn't see that movie with Benedict Cumberpatch, uh, what happens is uh, he's a Marvel hero who gets a control of this time stone and he can control time. And he, at the end of the movie, he runs to this almost undefeatable figure, Dharmamu. And they don't know how this guy's going to destroy, the Dharmamu is going to destroy the world and they don't know what's going to happen. 
and uh, Stephen Strange figures out how to kill him, and this is how he figures out how to kill him. He says, Dormammu, I've come to bargain, and uh, Dormammu kills him. And then he comes right back, and he says, Dormammu, I've come to bargain, and he kills him, and he comes right back. And Dormammu goes, what's happening? He says, well, I have this time stone, and so you and I are looped in endless time. And you're going to keep doing this over and over and over again. And I'm going to control time, but I'm going to control this, and so you can't blow up the world because you're going to keep doing this endlessly and endlessly and endlessly. And he says, you cannot do this forever. He says, actually, I can. This is how things are now. You and me, trapped in this moment, endlessly. He plead, and the, dorm of the, the, the evil man goes, in this, please, you'll never win. Dr. Strange says, no, but I can lose again and again and again and again and again and again forever, and that makes you my prisoner. And Dormammu says, no, stop. I beg you to make this stop. Set me free. You know what Leah is doing when she says, this time I will praise the Lord. She's saying, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to set myself free. What are your emotions this morning that are bound up in a chase that are sucking you so far away from what you were meant to live that are exhausting you, that are wounding you, that are telling you you're not enough that you need to take off of something in this world and put them on Jesus? What can you do with that with this moment and this morning? Because here's, here's why Leah could do it. Because who this baby is that she's given you see, the, the baby's name is Judah. Do you know who Judah is? We're told at the end of Genesis that this is the baby through whom the Messiah seed will go. And you could read the Gospel of Matthew and see where the story of Jesus about where he begins. And he comes out of this baby Judah. And what we see is that the God who moves into her life, that she puts her life on, is a God who reverses the values of this world. There's a, there's a beautiful woman and there's an ugly duckling. And everyone in Los Angeles and everyone in Southern California always goes after the beautiful one and says, this is the one we're going to build the kingdom on. This is the one we're going to change the world through. This is the one who glory is going to come through. But not the God of grace, not the covenant God, who comes into her life and says, not the beautiful one, but it's the ugly duckling that I will go on, that I will move into, and I will change the world through. And says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not wanted, he opened her womb in verse 31. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her little Jesus storybook Bible for children. She's got a, a comment on this that I love reading my children. She says, when the Lord saw that no one loved her, he loved her. Isn't that beautiful? That this is, this is the gospel in the freedom of the chase. Is that whatever you're chasing has told you no. The covenant God always moves into your life when nothing else will love you and say, I will love you and I will be there for you. See, here, here's almost the irony of this story is that in the morning, it's always Leah. And we think that about things in our life. But there's also moments where we go in the morning, we are Leah. Wondering if anything will love us. And you know, to Jesus in the gospel, the world may call you a Leah, but to him you're always a Rachel. Let him love you.
Let him protect you. Let him put all of your emotions that you're putting on things in this world that will never set you free, that will never give you that enduring hunt of value, that will never draw you out of that loop of time. And let it be Jesus who always thinks you're a Rachel and take your life back and be set free. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Jesus, you are the true Jacob who looks at us in our sin and our fallenness in the morning and doesn't say, why have you done this? But looks at us and says, ah, my beloved bride. Where I, I, I pray for people in this room that you would meet us wherever we are in our chases and set us free by the gospel to take our lives back in the name of the gospel for your kingdom, for the way you made us. In Jesus' name, amen.